Oh shoot! Opening song. Oh right. Oh shoot! We do that every time. (laughs) Oh jeez. Did King of the Kingdom have an anime? Nope. It's a shoujo fantasy from like the 2000s. Did you think you would take it in the anime? (laughs) (laughs) Nah. (laughs) Well, I can just introduce and you can just put music in later. everyone to another episode of manga in your ears uh, normally this is the point where i would tell you what song you just heard but as of this recording we haven't figured out what the theme music is going to be for this episode yet i swear to god all the npr podcasts that we're copying that do this i don't think they have this problem but mm. they probably have meetings like 30 minute meeting let's get in the room <laughs> <laughs> yeah no we are not put together enough to do that i mean it just took us three months to agree on a design for our new logos sorry i'll see you Yes, we do have a logo now. And it's very cool looking. But the three of us are not here to talk about the logo specifically. We are here to talk about manga. And so our first title of the day is going to be Key to the Kingdom, the older series, which it's sort of a dead series since publisher CMX, which published it, doesn't exist anymore. Um, but it is a good 2000 shoujo fantasy, which honestly looks like it came out of the 90s. And I am very glad I have gotten... Corey to read this and April to reread this. <laughs> so, uh, Key to the Kingdom, like I said, it's a shoujo fantasy series, or at least I am pretty darn sure it's shoujo. I cannot imagine this being anything but shoujo. Um, yes, the Wikipedia says that it ran in a shoujo magazine monthly Oscar Fantasy DX. I'm not familiar with that one. I wonder if it's still around. Anyway, um, it is a fantasy manga from the early 2000s, but the art kind of looks like it's from the 90s. So if you're craving that shoujo 90s art styles, you can find it here, just I didn't see any one of Giant Pompadours in there, come to think of it. <laughs> um, it's a fairly short series, too, at six volumes, so it's a nice, quick read. Uh, it is set in the Kingdom of Landor, primarily, where um, the country's kind of been in conflict for the past 300 years or so. Um, they were It's been in conflict with two neighboring nations. They used to all be one nation, but then there was a civil war, so they've just been fighting each other ever since. You know, bad stuff. And both the king and the crown prince have recently just died in battle, which means that we've now got 13-year-old heir to the throne Asta, who's not very interested in being king, like, doesn't want to use a sword, just kind of wants to read all day, has no interest in doing kingly duties. And since he's not interested in becoming king, and he's also not a very good candidate for the throne, people are getting worried that there might be another civil war that would split apart the country by this point. So in kind of a fit of desperation, some of the counselors say, okay, we're going to have this challenge where you have to find this mystical key to the kingdom, which legends say will grant people the power to unify the kingdom again, and anyone of royal blood can go on this quest. And so Asa ends up being one of the contenders for this quest. He just kind of has to. And there are four other... None of them are strictly members of royalty, but they're all from, like, ruling noble families. And so they're all traveling across the kingdom trying to find this key to the kingdom. And there's some dragons involved. And lots of plots, lots of backstabbing. Uh, it's a story where the plot setup sounds, you know, interesting, but relatively straightforward in the first volume. 
And then it just grows more and more complex and deep as the story keeps going on. So by the end, you're like, I'm not even quite sure who was telling the truth and who was lying this whole time anymore. Yep. Which is part of what I always liked about it. I like stories that start off simple, but then draw you in deeper and deeper. And the characters also undergo a lot of character development by the end in a very gradual, natural feeling way. Like Asta starts off as this bratty, kind of unlikable main character. But at some point, I don't even know when, he just sort of becomes more likable. And you're like, oh, okay, he's putting in some effort now. He's working towards doing good things. And I hope to God that he doesn't die. Yeah, in like, in like the first couple volumes, I would be like, oh, all right, he's dead. That'd be, that's fine. Uh, there, <laughs> there are other candidates for the throne. Uh, but yeah, by the by the uh, by the end of it, he seemed to have grown a lot more. Like he he reminds me of that prince dude. I think his name is Canute in um, Vinland mm-hmm. Saga, where like he's just kind of this pampered brat kid. I mean, this guy isn't as braggy. He's just kind of like an intellectual. He likes to read books a lot, but he's not really interested in swordplay or anything. But then he learns eventually that like he has to know these things to be able to defend, defend himself and defend his kingdom. Yeah, and he was never raised to be the crown prince or anything. He had a very capable older brother who died in the same battle as his father. So um, it's not like he's been resisting destiny or anything. He just really thought he didn't have to do anything vaguely related to being a king at first. Yeah. And the story also spends a decent amount of time following some of the other major candidates. Like, two of them are just sort of scummy, so we don't really spend much time with them. But we spend time with, um, I guess it's a cousin of sorts, um, from a family that sort of split apart ages ago. And then also Asta's um, childhood friend. I, when I went back to reread the series, I was so sure she was his fiance, but I guess not. Um, Letty, who's, she's a really fun character, even if she gets a little too caught up in romantic plots for my taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that, that does seem, her plot does seem like kind of uh, typical for a 13, 14 year old, like getting caught up in this first love. Um, well, it wasn't typical for me, so. <laughs> I mean, typical for shoujo stories, I guess. Yeah, getting caught up in love and then getting, uh, or having that like crush down upon you when you, when you realize the implications of it, I guess. You know, just realizing that supernatural forces are manipulating your love for somebody else to make you do bad things. The, yeah. the usual. Yeah. <laughs> As one does. So, Helen, actually, how did you come across this one? Uh, did you just, like, find it at the bookstore and you're like, hey, this is a, a thing that looks cool? I'm pretty sure I came across it in one of the libraries I frequented when I was in either late high school or college. I think more along the lines of college. I think whoever I was reading it had the full set, and then I bought the set um, mm-hmm. later on since CMX has gone out of business, and I was like, oh crap, I really want to make sure I can read this in the future. I'd better own my own set. Because this does seem, um, if not something that influenced Yona, like a spiritual predecessor of it, in that like you're going on this journey to become, or to take over the country that you're destined to take over by way of royal lineage. Oh man, if we're talking about spiritual predecessors to Yona, we, we should probably talk about Basara at some point in this podcast. <laughs> Since, yeah, it's like the 90s and I guess early 2000s fantasy shoujos, which were about, um, as I like to put it, adventure first, romance second. I think those definitely had an influence on Yona much more than a lot of mm, current fantasy shoujos, which are sort of like romance first and yeah, some adventure on the side. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And as I've made it very clear, my preference is for the adventure first. Mm-hmm. And this is one that's got like dragons everywhere. You know, it's cool. And the, you know, there's, it's a medieval settings, you know, we've got knights, we've got sword fights. Um, it's magic. very quick paced throughout the whole thing. Like part of it's just because the volumes are rather slim, but you move through the story at a pretty fast pace. Yeah. But it feels very dense. Like mm-hmm. it took me a while to read a volume and I was always surprised when I picked up the next one and I'm like, why am I not already done yet? Like halfway through because <laughs> there's so many words. <laughs> yeah. Like I was having to reread this kind of quickly just since my schedule has spiraled out of control. But otherwise, yeah, this is something I would have preferred to like read one volume in a day, you know, put it down. Yeah. And then wait till like the next day to pick up the next volume because you feel like you're you feel very satisfied and full quickly mm-hmm. when you're reading this. Unlike some series where you just sort of gobble up twenty chapters at a time and you're like, yeah, I could I could keep going, I could keep reading more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like CMX tended to pick up series like that where they they have other shorter series that were dense like this one. Um, I thought premise of it was was good like it gets it gets really really dense towards the end but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on it's just for me i felt like absolutely no attachment to any of the characters at all <laughs> so it just they just didn't it's not that i disliked them or liked them i just i think maybe it moved so fast for me that i never really got attached to anybody um there's just a lot going on especially in the latter volumes um and then um you all were talking about uh letty earlier and i wasn't really sure what they were going to do with her but i was a little disappointed that like her her big her big uh uh subplot was the the romance piece um i could see how it was a necessary or at least a essential part of how the story played out but i sort of wish they would have done something else with her also yeah, it's kind of annoying that she and the only other major female character in the series are both caught up in that subplot. And then we meet, like, one more female character who has, like, had, like, sort of a lasting impact in the series. And her impact was basically she fell in love with somebody else and they died. So it's like, <laughs> it's like I could have sworn a lady was writing this. Like, please be nicer to women, please. <laughs> Well, and I don't know uh, the yeah the Kyoko Shito. She, that is definitely a lady's name. Kyoko yeah, yeah, she nicer to your female characters. She was. I don't know if the person that Letty liked Alex or whatever. Like, I feel like he got introduced specifically for that plot line. Like, he never. I feel like he never particularly developed outside of that. He kind of like randomly popped up in a really small panel, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. He's a new character, and then he just became a part. So I kind of thought that was just his role within the story, was just to be um, her romantic interest. And then I felt like everybody else had had sort of, I don't know, their names were hard to remember. And then there was Alex. I was like, okay, well, he's easy to remember. <laughs> well, he was being said as like Letty's retainer since you, uh, I mean, for most of these characters, they are not frolicking across the country trying to find this mysterious key by themselves. They've got, you know, an entourage of sorts. Except for Asta. Asta is just like one like his brother's former brother's friend. Badimus? I, I the story just like shortens it to bad. <laughs> just grabs him and be like, Nope, okay, we're doing this by ourselves. I am not letting you like be pampered the entire way. Let's go. Next B A D D. They don't yeah. just like call him bag. The extra But it D sounds the same in English, so it's kinda of weird yeah. for an English reader. Yeah. They had one sentence See, in there that was like, bag is bag or something. And like, they described him as B-A-D, and that was very confusing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the translator was having so much fun with that line. Yeah. 
Yeah, those two words would not have been homonyms in Japanese, so I think someone was having fun. Ah, I see, I see. And then there's sort of, do you, do you call it a twist? There's there's sort of the, the twist at the end. Um, there are certainly yeah. some reveals that things are not as the characters have expected. Things are right, not as they right. seem. Mm-hmm. Did anybody expect that? I don't think we can really go in depth about it, but I I could say I was at least surprised. Um, I enjoyed that part of it, but I don't I don't really know how much we can talk about it without spoiling the series. Having read the series before, it was fun for me to look out in advance and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see this foreshadowing here. Oh, okay, yeah, I see that. So, for a couple of things, Corey, could you see it? The amount of the scheming that the dragons went through to get to this point just seems ridiculous. Like, I guess they had a lot of time to do it, so uh, they would be able to, but no, I didn't, I didn't expect the amount or the the level to which uh, the antagonists would be these dragon things instead of just, like, these five people against themselves trying to find a key. I thought it would be relatively straightforward, but I guess not. <laughs> Yeah, going back to speaking in non-spoilers, uh, I, I do think it's kind of funny that a lot of the story probably could have been avoided if certain people had told other people, yo, don't do this thing, this thing is bad, it will mess things up. But I remember one of the characters saying, I know I'm going against all of my instincts to even tell you as much as I am right now, and it's like, dude, you're mm-hmm. still speaking in like riddles, just stop. <laughs> I don't feel like it hurts the story a lot. And it, since that's, you know, there's a lot of times when you read a story and there's bad communication, you go, that was kind of self-sabotaging in the end but i feel like here it works a little better especially because the secrets are just so layered on top of each other someone would basically mm-hmm. have to understand everything to believe what was going on yeah. so i can kind of see it there and these countries i think like some of the people are still at war uh at least on paper against each other so i don't mm-hmm. know how much they want to reveal to each other either yeah, like, the, the king and the crown prince died in battle against another country, like, yeah. as the story opens. Yeah. The, the civil civil war, war war, whatever you want to call it, is still very much going on. I think we've reached a point where, with most of our plot-heavy series, it gets a little harder for us to talk about this in depth without just completely spoiling it. Yeah. Which I don't think is really what we want to do on this podcast. We want to encourage people to go read series, not just be a place where people have already read a series to hear us talk about it. Yeah. I mean, that's good, too, but I don't feel like that's our primary goal here. Agreed with what you said. So do I you guys think, have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think if people want to pick this up, I think that it's popular in libraries. That's uh, basically where I got mine. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's still easy to pick up now that that CMX is gone. I don't know if they're like super expensive online, but like Helen said, it's a short series. Um, and you might be able to pick it up at the library. Um, and my library had all of it. So um, it's something worth picking up. I just felt like it got kind of confusing at the end. Like, I felt like there were a lot of good elements um, and things came together in certain parts in ways that I didn't expect. But I was still kind of like, mm, it's a little confusing. So <laughs> if you can um, pick it up at the library or pick it up for cheap, it's pretty short and uh, it's not a super long read. Yeah, CMX was publishing this around 2007, which seems to be around when many libraries I've seen were at the peak of their manga collecting. I've gone into so many libraries where you can just look at the manga on the shelves and know exactly when they had a dedicated librarian for buying Mm -hmm. the manga. Yeah. 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 Uh, I agree with you, April. Um, It it is a little dense and confusing at the end. Uh, It might have been served 
a little better by having maybe one more volume. Um, but yeah, other than that, I really liked it as like a, a fantasy um, exploration series where uh, you just get to see this kid like grow into his role as a king. I did not go to the library for mine. I actually just like grabbed it off Amazon, and it was not that expensive. Uh, otherwise, I would not have done that. Uh, <laughs> it was only like forty dollars for all the volumes. So okay, yeah, I didn't know if they were still floating around. Yeah, and I think one thing, one reason why I still like this series is that we still get fantasy anime and fantasy manga, but I feel like a lot of them have been really influenced by games, or they are a game tie in themselves, or by D and D, or just really mm-hmm. self referential. But this is just a pure fantasy. It doesn't make you feel like you already need to be a fantasy fan to enjoy the series. You don't have to keep an eye out for characters making little winks and nods. It's just sort of a story there and complete, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yep. And with that, I think we're ready to move on to talking about our next series. Or at least you are, too. You two are, <laughs> since I didn't have time to read again this week. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but we'll be right back. are back. We are talking about uh, Inio Asano's newest manga, which is uh, hard to say and hard to remember. Mouthful. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's called Dig Dig Demons Dig Dig Dig, Dig Destruction, uh, which I don't know where that comes from besides uh, wanting to say Dig a lot, I guess. Um, but this... This manga uh, centers around two girls. One of them's named Kagoge Koyama, and the other one's name is, I believe, uh, Oran Nakagawa. I just found it in the volume. Uh, but they, she calls, or uh, Koyama calls the other girl Antan, I think. So they're just kind of living their life as they do in the. Uh, <laughs> As they do in Asano series, um, but the the bigger thing is that a flying saucer has appeared over Tokyo, uh, and they are just kind of attacking. But the SD between the SDF, uh, the United States, Japan, or uh, China and Korea, they've been able to kind of fend it off. Um, but they did use something that was called like an A missile or something. And that was able to, like, get rid of a huge amount of the first wave of attack, which is probably why they haven't attacked more. Uh, but it also caused uh, what seems like some pretty heavy pollution in Tokyo now. So uh, Kagoge's mom wants her to get out of Tokyo, and they want her to go to college and do all the, you know, young adult things. She's not really into that because she has uh, kind of had to like drop out or like take a has lighter high school loads, I guess, to kind of help support the family because her mom doesn't seem like in the best shape. But yeah, as as an all Asano series, it's kind of uh, very in the characters' heads and just uh, letting them get through 
whatever situation he's put them in. Um, April, what did you think about it? Um, so Asano is a favorite of mine, so I'm, I pick up everything that he does, everything that they license. This one is a little weird. Um, most of, yeah, most of his stuff has got sort of something a little weird about it, but this one is weird. Um, uh, where do you start with this? Um, I like how there are like various small touches that sort of hint to characters' relationships or, or what has happened um, after, I guess, the alien invasion or whatever, but not, but they're not obvious. So one of the things I can think of is uh, the main character, um, we're pretty sure that her father is gone, but like Corey said, her mother is still there. Um, and one of the things that happens um, in a flashback is that her father leaves the house and she asks him, well, where is mom? And she's, and he says, oh, well, she's gone to get toilet paper. Um, and towards the end of that scene, cause you're sort of curious, like, okay, well, do her parents survive? And sort of in the end, sort of at the end of that flashback, you see like, you see like a small panel of toilet paper and it sort of gives you the clue that, yeah, her mother is still around, which you eventually see further in the volume. Um, and it's small things like that that I think Asano is kind of known for. It's really just, sort of about this looming thing, this looming invasion and the spaceship or whatever it is just sort of hangs over Tokyo as this ominous huge thing while all of the people living there still go about their daily lives. And then the two main characters that I guess are in high school sort of have their regular teen angst about the world isn't real and we're real and everybody else isn't and all of that while this huge spaceship is just in the middle of everything it's a it's a weird one <laughs> yeah and i believe uh her mom has found uh a new either a new boyfriend or husband mm-hmm. i couldn't really tell um because he's he says at one point i'll work hard to earn the right to be called your dad mm-hmm. um so i guess they're dating but they're also driving uh and i don't know how old they are uh, but he doesn't seem like high school kids in anime usually drive. Uh, so that seemed mm. odd to me. Yeah, she also seems to have a thing for her teacher, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the teacher makes a comment that's not really cool. I mean, I'm kind of like, ah, leave yeah. alone. <laughs> He's like 30, and I'm like, it's inappropriate, man. Just leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then her friend is like asking all these inappropriate questions. <laughs> well, that's what friends do. I expected that. Yeah. But her teacher's like, you know, when you get older, come back with no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It does seem like these characters uh, have kind of acclimated to living life uh, surrounded by this presumed pollution and also the the flying saucer that, like, occasionally sends scout smaller flying saucers out of it. And it's just like, this would be very strange once you first run into it, but now that it's been here for a couple of years, it's just kind of a fixture of their society now. So it makes me wonder, like, what would happen um, if a flying saucer actually did show up? Like, uh, what would it be like a couple of years down the road from that? Would we kind of acclimate to what is happening and just kind of make jokes about it and not really notice it anymore? Or would we uh, continually try to blow it up, I guess? Do you mean in the real world? Yeah. Uh, I think we would continually try to blow it up and we would have memes about it. Sure. Uh, 
it does seem like that's happening on some level in the series. Maybe just from the kids' point of view, it just seems slow or boring or because at this point they seem bored by it or at least disappointed by the fact that it didn't do more or blow them up or cost they just seem sort of bored by like oh we thought this was really going to be something and it's just hanging there and yeah now we're back to our existential angst i mean that's really what where it seems like they're at with it where it's just kind of because there is a particular quote that's stood out to me just personally where one of the characters is like says something about i guess being able to do the same thing every day is its own kind of happiness so i don't know if she's unhappy with that or happy with it i I think maybe that's just a a theme that asano has like regularly and he's just throwing a spaceship in there (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's and it's like impossible to tell where this one's gonna go like a a character shows up at the end, and it's like, mm, okay, this might be going somewhere, but it's, it, this first volume, like, it's, mm, it's still just kind of like laying out the pieces so you can uh, see where it goes. And like, I don't know how far along this is in the Japanese, so I, I have no idea where it's going from here. Uh, I guess there's six volumes out in Japan, so they're quite a bit further ahead of us. Try to think of some some other stuff within the volume. Really, just focuses on the kids. Like, there's not a lot of adult influence or I feel like in some of his series if there if there are adults they're always like a little weird like just like <laughs> just slightly yeah. it just seems like that's a common thing cuz her I don't know if her mom is is what's what's the word I should use here I don't know if her mother has something physically wrong with her as much as the presence of the spaceship and the possibility that it could do something to them has started to kind of make her anxious or worried or so i don't know if there's actually a a physical illness i feel like the doctor says as much like oh there's nothing wrong with her Mm -hmm. but she's perfectly healthy but her mom talks about wanting to go to like some sort of group where they're self-sustaining and everybody's happy and there's a there's a strange dynamic between her and her mother yeah yeah her mom seems like she because she's wearing a a face mask, like one of those cold, they're the masks for people that wear colds in Japan. I think she's also wearing like ski goggles or something. Um, they're large goggles. <laughs> yeah. So I think she's just uh, kind of afraid or paranoid of um, what this A missile or whatever could be doing. Because I think that A missile is like, it has to be a, a reference to the atomic bomb, but like mm-hmm. not to that level of destruction. Or pollution. Yeah, so here, here's the doctor. He says, your mother isn't... Or, As usual, I can't find anything wrong with her, but she's tired, so let her get rest. People keep coming in for checkups, but there's little that we can do. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just like a mass hysteria of worrying ah. about uh, what this missile could have done to them. Which is in, like, direct opposition to how the kids feel. They're like, well, is it going to do anything, or is it just going to keep hanging there? Do yeah. we have to do homework? Or, you know, <laughs> it's, it's in direct opposition to how they view They're like, was well, it, you know, it's just going to hang there, or what? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that, that that's purposeful. Yeah, Asano seems to capture teen angst and indifference <laughs> um, in relation to this thing, because some people are just, like, taking pictures with it, uh, and then one <laughs> one kid like threw a rock at one of the one of the uh, the like uh, scout saucers and just mm-hmm. like 
it fell into some uh, telephone lines or something. So well, course, and of, and of course that winds up on social media. Yeah, yeah. And of course he <laughs> because of course on social media and he's like mm-hmm. taking a selfie with her or whatever. Um, I think uh, the only other thing that stood out to me that I thought was a little now that I've I've thought about some of his other works. I, I mean, I'm like, I don't know why, but I was positive that they were in high school, but they don't, to me, they don't look it. Like, they, the fair, the characters are drawn, like, fairly young, which just is, and he's, Asano has had series with students in high school, and they look like high school students, so I feel like it has to be purposeful in some way. But I really didn't think they were, like, in middle school, but to me, that's what they looked like. But I think once the main character has that thing for her teacher. I'm like, oh, she's not. She can't be in middle school. They have to yeah. be in high school. Not that, that makes it any, like, appropriate. <laughs> like, she, can't, she can't. Like, it just, mm, they have to be in high school. <laughs> Maybe it's a, a side effect of the missile. They aren't growing. Mm, that's, 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 that could be a possibility. I mean, at this point, we don't know. I mean, yeah. that could very well be a possibility. Yeah, th- this first volume doesn't really delve into, like, what they're doing in high school, besides that they have normal high school concerns. Um, it's just kind of how they interact with each other and how indifferent they are toward this uh, invader. Yeah, it's weird. Yep. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I I liked it. It was a little bit different than I was expecting, but I don't know what you can really expect uh, with a title like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that first chapter is actually relatively normal uh, until you get to, say, page 22 and 23. It -hmm. just shows the saucer flying above, flying above (laughs) Tokyo. And is that the set of pages that has the actual uh, title of the series, like the uh, sort of where it looks like a sound effect almost? Yeah, that's a couple pages later. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Any closing thoughts on it? Um, it's Asana, so I'm gonna pick it up. I mean, I'm I'm biased about it. like if there is one author in English, um, at this point that I follow that I pick up everything, it's him. So I'm biased. So of course, I'm gonna say yeah, pick it up. <laughs> um, but this one is weird. Um, if you haven't read any of his other stuff, I wouldn't start with this one. If you're not like familiar with his themes or how he does stuff, then don't start with this. That's yeah. that's that's my recommendation is not to start with this one because I don't know what the hell's going on at this point. Um, but I'm going to read it, so I don't know yeah. how you feel about it, Corey. No, I agree with you. Uh, definitely don't start with this. If you want to check out Rosano, you've heard all this talk about it. Um, perhaps start with something a little more mundane. Unless you're into like something weird sci-fi-y, then yeah, sure, go, <laughs> go, ahead, and, <laughs> go ahead and pick this one up. Um mm. Well, we have yeah. an entire episode in the archives on Solonin, which is much less weird, it sounds like. Yep. Oh, yes. Yes, that's much less. It's Yeah, it's yeah. much less than this one. But just from the first volume, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say, like, anybody read this series, but um, I will, yeah, definitely continue picking up the volumes. <laughs> Helen, were you convinced to read it? <laughs> I mean, it sounded like you guys were just going, this is kind of weird, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> Uh, I think I'll just stick with my current overly large to read list right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe let it build up a few volumes and see where it goes. Yeah, we'll certainly let you know if it gets better. Or it, I'm sure yeah. I'll see you guys yelling about it on Twitter regardless. Yeah, I already like it now, but uh, yeah, I do too. whether it becomes recommendable. Ah, uh, yeah, sometimes those are two different things. That is a good point. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, well, where can we find everybody on the internet to close this thing out? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mangio Red. I'm still occasionally uh, writing reviews for the OASG, so you can find me there every now and then. And you can find me at Wandering Dreamer. Uh, I owe Justin some reviews for the OASG right now, so <laughs> you might not find me on Twitter in the next couple of days from working on those still. But you can find me there. Um, I'm hoping that my blog makes a comeback this summer once I actually have time. And I am still finding the time to record um, the OASG podcast with Justin every other week. We had a short episode last time. It's a miracle. We're not sure how, but it's a miracle. <laughs> not enough news. Um, oh, you listen to the podcast, I see. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I'm on Twitter at Impassionate K. Uh, this podcast is on Twitter at Manga In Your Ears, and you can find all of our episodes at taikupodcast.com. Uh, is that the end? That's the end. Say goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Yeah.